in action. I'm Cindy, and tonight I am going to talk to some of our leaders who happen to also be dads. This is Father's Day month, and so I thought, why not? Let's reach out to some of our leaders who are dads. Now, I know not everyone is in here yet, but they will be. So um, let's. we are now sitting around a... Uh, let's just imagine a virtual table. Uh, you guys are, you have the drink of your choice. So um, I don't know what that might be right now, but I am a good host. Uh, and so hopefully it's something you really, really like. Um, all right, let's start with Ron, Ron Brooks. Ron Brooks, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family? I want to know where you live and how many kids you have in their ages. And yeah, yeah. let us know their names too. Sure, be happy to. Uh, good evening. And and Cindy, this is, uh, and everybody out there, this is Ron Brooks. I, uh, my drink of choice this evening is a very tall, cool bottle of water because it's 109 degrees in my hometown of Phoenix, Arizona. So um, I am sitting in um, our home with uh, our family and we have three kids who are teenagers. Uh, my elder daughter, Casey, is 17. Uh, my son, Andrew, is 16. And our youngest, Amanda, is 14. And they are um, off doing different things, and uh, we've got dogs in the house, and, and my wife Lisa's here, so hopefully the background noise will stay low, and <laughs> thanks for having me. Well, I can't believe how old your children are, because I do remember the the whole process of your family growing, you know? So <laughs> I do, too. Yeah, I bet you you do. <laughs> uh, Jeff Bishop. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about your family and where you currently live? All right. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, we live here in Kirkland, Washington, formerly uh, in Arizona. And we miss you, Ron, although I don't know that I miss your heat. Because uh, <laughs> it's beautiful here as far as weather. We're, we're not even into the 80s yet here. So, you know, we're loving that. Uh, I am married to my beautiful wife, Carrie. And we have two children, David and Brian. They're older now, and so we'll have lots of fun stories to share about when they were younger and all of that, and including including uh, the hospital being silly enough to not guide me out of the uh, operating room and smacking my son's head when uh, after he was born. Poor Brian, <laughs> not a good situation. But uh, yeah, we'll tell more stories later. For sure. And uh, no grandchildren yet? How dare you? No, no, stop. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I didn't, I did not ask Ron that. So that was nice of me, wasn't it? <laughs> um, if I had grandkids at, at this stage with a, with a 17 and 14 year old daughters, uh, yeah. um, I would be in prison right now. And that's why I didn't ask. <laughs> I'm certainly glad I didn't have uh, girls because <laughs> I, I think it would be a lot harder to do. So, <laughs> um, 
Tell us a little bit about your current role in leadership, Ron, with ACB. I know you've done several different things, but you are involved at a committee level. Uh, so could you could sure. you share that? Yeah, so I have been – this is a time right now of my involvement is somewhat limited. Uh, we're members of the uh, Arizona Affiliate and the family's affiliate, and I'm serving as the chair of a committee called the uh, Advocacy Services Steering uh, Committee, which is basically a committee that includes the chairs of the nine committees within ACB that do advocacy work in specific areas like transportation, environmental access, uh, rehabilitation, uh, education and and the other and the other advocacy spaces that we work in, and my role as chair is to basically um, do whatever Clark um, tells me, um, and to help keep our advocacy efforts coordinated uh, and communicating with each other so that we're working um, in a way that is synergistic and not stepping on toes each other's toes. So that's kind of my role right now. Um, I've spent time as the BOP, the Board of Publications Chair, uh, and I've done some other, a lot of stuff around transportation, which is the area that I work in. So uh, those are kind of what I'm doing right now. Very good. And I'm, I'm, I would apologize that you have to work so closely with Clark, but I'm going to be <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> uh, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your role is in leadership? I mean, you're doing a lot for sure, and a board member, and and several other things. So, yeah, yeah, I, I am doing a lot, and, yeah. and it never and it never ends. It seems. Uh, yeah, I'm on the board, uh, and uh, in fact, this would have been if we weren't doing the virtual convention, the year to uh, be reelected to the board again. And so, um, I. I'm chair of the Information Access Committee. I chair our um, ACB Radio Steering Committee and help out with lots of IT infrastructure work um, for the organization and sort of lead along with a a team of people um, all of the work that we're doing to ACB's server infrastructure and mail and and, and all of that. So... um, it's, it's almost enough for a second job, to be honest with you. Uh, if I'm not working for Microsoft, I'm doing ACB. And if I'm not doing that, I'm sleeping or eating. And uh, that's, about, that's about it. <laughs> it's pretty crazy right now. Truly. And, and the question has been asked in jest, but I, I seriously wonder, when do you sleep? Um, not much. Yeah. Not much, unfortunately. I guess you obviously don't need a whole lot. Um, no, I, I got about four hours last night. I was up at five o'clock this morning for a for a committee call, and uh, and I'm not a morning person, so you know it's uh, pretty amazing that I'm that I'm even intelligent at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So uh, until the other guys get here, I'm going to just go through some of these questions Tony's with you. Here. And, oh, Tony Tony's is here. here. Hey, Tony. Yeah. Hello. Thank you so much for being here and wondering if uh, you could just start off by sharing a little bit about your family and where you live and in 
include ages of kids and names and, you know, throw names. Social security numbers. And <laughs> yeah. School yeah. lunch IDs, all that Something stuff. Something like that, yeah. Hey, Cindy. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Ron. Hey. hey, so, uh, yeah, hi, I'm Tony Stevens. I am the D- Director of Development for the American Council of the Blind, based in Alexandria, Virginia, but I live in Baltimore City, uh, about a block from the from the harbor in downtown Baltimore, and I've got two kids. I've got a 10-year-old named Oliver and a, an 8-year-old named Elliot, so two very, very full of energy boys. Wonderful. And uh, how long have you been in Maryland? Have you been there a long time? So we moved down from New York about 10 years ago after we had our first kid and decided subways and strollers for someone who's blind is not the funnest thing in the world. And uh, moved down here to be near my wife's family. And so it's been 10 years in Maryland. We were in the suburbs of D.C. till about three years ago before we moved. We, We were missing sort of row house living. So we moved into Baltimore, which has a you know, sort of that, that classic row homes kind of feel to it. Very good. And another question that I'd ask the other gentleman is, uh, what is your leadership role in ACB? So why don't you share a little bit about, and and it kind of combines with your career as well, doesn't it? But anyway. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, you know, as, as director of development, my main role is to really help build and sustain relationships for the organization in, in, in the sense that, you know, it's, it's a revenue component, it's fundraising. Uh, but it's a lot more with that with ACB, which is, which is one of the great things about the organization in that, uh, you know, our relationships are, are not, uh, you know, they're, they're very collaborative. And, and Jeff and Ron will attest to that as the volunteers that, that often get assigned to so many of the, the solid relationships we have with our corporate partners or in terms of, you know, sort of initiatives that we undertake to raise money or get grant funding on and things like that. So I oversee uh, the the organization to help fundraise and work with folks like Jeff and Ron on some of the programming that comes out of that money that we're able to raise and some of the relationships we're able to build with our corporate partners and other partners out in the out in the larger ether of the world. Very good. And you're new to doing this job. But um, why don't you share a little bit about some of the previous jobs that you've held before coming back to ACB? So, yeah. So I took a hiatus away from ACB for about a year. Um, I was running a small nonprofit here in Baltimore after just, you know, and and Ron and and Jeff would, you know, will harken back to their days of younger kids when it's such a developmental stage in their lives. Uh, so I took a year away to, to spend a lot more time with them. It was a job that would let me telework. Before that, I was the director of advocacy and governmental affairs, which is now housed by Clark Rockville, who I think folks might know mm-hmm, uh, through maybe. the ACB family. And then, uh, you know, my predecessor was Eric Bridges, who's now the executive director. We might so know him too. Some folks know Eric. Yeah, so <laughs> he's a family man as well with kids. So yeah, we, um, you know, uh, focused primarily on advocacy. I've been doing advocacy for decades now, far too long. I'm an old, old parent. Um, not super old, but you know, uh, I had a, a long career before settling down and having kids and in advocacy and social justice work for the past couple of decades. But ACB, uh, was, was, you know, leading that for a few years before I took that sort of hiatus for a year. It's nice to be back. Well, that's 
we're glad to have you back too. Mm -hmm. And Ron, why don't you tell us, you've had quite an interesting uh, career life as well. And we've watched you kind of move up through the transportation uh, ranks and it's been really exciting actually. And you've been willing to move your family all over the country for employment with a, which I think is, um, you know, really admirable and something not a lot of people are willing to do. And uh, so would you share a little bit about yeah, that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and I'll start by saying that we've actually been in Phoenix, believe it or not, we have been in Phoenix for 14 years. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so just, just to kind of share. So I'm one of those people. I, I literally started my career um, because of ACB. In fact, I was a college student, graduate student out at San Francisco state. And I was a member of an ACB local chapter in California, and they needed somebody to go sit at the advisory board for the transit agency there. It was the BART, which is the subway system there. And I went because they needed a volunteer, and I wanted to complain and be heard. So uh, I went, and I found that the – well, I found two things. One, I found that the issues were fascinating – And I found, too, that I was really bored in graduate school. So when an opportunity came to join the agency, they respected my my participation enough to give me an opportunity for a very entry-level planner position, uh, which I took. And I worked in the the planning space and got into paratransit, uh, which was just starting at that time. This is early 1990s, about 1993. So, um, and then I had opportunities to go to Florida, um, and we, we did not have kids at this point, and then on to New Mexico, and, um, and then to Northern California for a year, and by this point, we were starting to have kids, uh, and then to Illinois, and then after two years in Illinois, we came to Phoenix, and at that point, the kids were starting to hit very early school age, preschool, kindergarten, and we said no more, no more moves until, you know, the kids are through their school years and we've moved within Phoenix to buy a house and things like that. But uh, we have been here and currently what I do, and I've done a little bit of everything managed uh, transit services for, uh, you know, paratransit and alternative transportation services uh, for a couple of agencies. Most recently I was in Phoenix managing um, the accessible transit services for our transit system here in Phoenix. I did that for six years and I just changed positions um, about um, six months ago to uh, lead a company's, um, a new company, a relatively new company that is redesigning paratransit to be on-demand service uh, using services like Uber and taxi and, and things like that. Um, and I am leading our, our transit uh, development efforts in, in the transit sector. So basically, I'm responsible for building our business in North America, uh, U.S. first, and hopefully Canada someday. So um, it, you know, it's a very, it's a big opportunity. It was lots of travel until March. Um, and now it's no travel, but lots of zoom meetings and, um, who knows what happens next. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. I cannot believe that you've been in Arizona for 14 years. Uh, I remember when you moved there, right? I just mm. remember you moving around and it just seems like five years ago. That's great. Uh, Jeff, Tom, Yes. I yeah, am here. We're, 
would you mind sharing a little bit about your family? Uh, you know, kids, okay. uh, approximate ages, and and where you live. So I have um, five children. The first two are from my first marriage, and they are. 39 and 37 and then I have a couple who sort of we adopted not not formally she has a mother a dysfunctional mother um and so she sort of came living with us when she was a teenager and she is 37 and then her sister who sort of ultimately came along with the package who's 40 or 41 and she just moved in with us uh, with her two teens in February because she broke up with her boyfriend. And then I have my youngest, whom some of you know, Andy, who um, just graduated from San Francisco State with her master's um, in special education. And she is 27. And then there are other grandchildren down in Orange County that I have who are... Um, and then we've had like 14 foreign exchange students, high school students come through over the past, you know, bunch of years. So that's and, my family. And where do you live? And I live in Sacramento. Sorry. No problem. The state capital of California. And your lovely wife and I went to school together. That's right. <laughs> Elementary school. Isn't that crazy? Small world. Uh, and Jeff, what is your current role in ACB as a leader? So I'm currently, I, I wear many hats, mm -hmm. um, as do many of us. I am on the board of directors. I am uh, immediate past president of the California Council of Blind, and I am president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. And the older I get, the more passionate I am about services <laughs> for seniors with vision loss. Well, it sounds like that's a good fit for you right now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I wish it weren't, in a sense. Yeah. And as long as I have you talking, Jeff, why don't you share about your career? I know you're retired, but... What did you do for employment when you were working? Uh, I was, um, during almost my entire career, after spending a brief time as a disability rights attorney, I, was, I worked for the California legislature. Um, first, I drafted bills and wrote legal opinions, and then I supervised others who did it. And I think that, as Ron, I'm sure, could attest, um, when we become supervisors in a sighted world, in a sighted industry or whatever, whether it be public or private, we really become ambassadors for people who are blind. And so it's very important for us to be as stellar as we can in that role because um, what they see, um, they project as images of other people who are blind or who have low vision. Yeah. And uh, I agree with that so much. I mean, we all we all have that happen in our lives, right? As we're out in the community and in all aspects of our life, where people uh, want to uh, use us as the example, and or you know, well, they also compare us, don't they? And so, uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Bishop. 
tell us about we know we know the full time job you have with ACB, and we pay you with lots of love. But you uh, do, yeah. Okay. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes, I'm, I'm, sometimes, sometimes I could just. I, I'd rather be paid back in sleep. I think is the way I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send you a box of Z's. Um, yes, do that. Yeah. But for now, would you share with us about the job that pays the bills? Sure. So, I've been working in IT now for over 30 years, and really, thanks to ACB. Well, in part, anyway, uh, I am now in um, a, a role that has been the peak of my career, and uh, I'm hugely excited about it and just loving it because I'm able to be a part of a team that is making a difference for the lives of literally millions of people, and I'm excited about that. And that is that I'm a program manager working at Microsoft, working on the Windows Accessibility Team working on the narrator screen reader, which is the screen reader that's built into Windows. And that all got started from my my work in advocacy with Eric and, and others in the organization working directly with Microsoft. And uh, that led to uh, a, you know, a, a career change for me from working at the uh, University of Arizona uh, up here to uh, work at Microsoft. So, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how some of us have these dotted lines from ACB to our next jobs. It is. It's fabulous. And so how long have you been with Microsoft? I've been with Microsoft about three years now. I worked for them back in the 90s for a while. And um, worked, worked for them for a couple of years there too. But mm-hmm. in this role, about three years. All right, so I think I've caught us all up, and so now I want to ask a question, and just you can chime in and share if you would like. So I would like you to tell us about a hobby you might have outside of all the stuff you do for ACB and, uh, you know, just any hobby or special interest that you might have. Anybody want to share? Sure, I'll jump in. Um, Go for it, Ron. So I want to share two. Um, I want to share just one that's kind of mine, and then I want to talk about just our family a little bit as well. So um, I have many hobbies. I love to read and cook and do things like that. But lately, um, especially during the pandemic, because no travel meant a little bit more time, even though the workload also went up, but I gained a little bit of time. And what I have been doing is I pulled out the alto saxophone that my parents bought used for me in 1982 so that I could play in the band at high school, and I hated. And I got it fixed up, and I have now been playing pretty consistently. Um, The neighbors are no longer pointing weapons over the fence. (laughs) Um, And um, it's a lot of fun. So... So that is something that um, has actually brought a lot of kind of joy um, um, and fun energy into our house. And then as far as hobbies, so our kids are, um, you know, of course, they're a little bit older. So we 
and, and particularly during the pandemic, I mean, honestly, before the pandemic, I was traveling and they were all have friends and they're doing this, that and the other. Um, but now we now we have each other. And um, so we've actually gotten closer um, you know, to each other. And, and so now we've actually found ourselves playing board games, uh, of all things. Love it. And so... Um, we have some um, we have some definite assassins on the Monopoly board. Um, Scrabble has been fun. We um, have a card game which I don't recommend for uh, immature audiences um, called Never Trump, which is basically quotes of our uh, a card with quotes, and you have to pick which one our president said and which one he didn't say, and they are all incredibly outrageous. So that's kind of entertaining. Um, because we all love politics. So anyway, it's been, so we've been doing that and that's been a lot of fun and, and passing a lot of time here in the uh, Arizona heat. That's awesome. Well, well, Ron, you know, what's funny, Ron, uh, what, what is this with all these dotted lines to everybody here tonight? So I played the saxophone too. Mm. <laughs> now, now, luckily they won't let me near one because I think I would scare everybody in Seattle away. And so, the, <laughs> and I played the violin, but I, I, I don't do that anymore either. But, uh, so well, do you have a hobby could, that you we do We could now? actually start an album called Sax and Violence. Oh no, yeah. you guys, <laughs> With the way things Love are that. going now, I don't think we want to even go there. Uh, uh. <laughs> all right. So Jeff, do you, do you have a hobby besides? Well, I have lots here? of them. I have Long lots hours? of them. I am such a technological dinosaur. I'll mention one, but I, um, because I enjoy reading, I finally got into Bard and now I download books like crazy. So I have learned something. In well, this so, pandemic. so, and so that's good. Jeff Thomas and learned that he's not too old to learn something. That's right. That's awesome. Right. My other hobby awesome, Jeff. is sports, awesome. and of course, there's not much of that. So that's we'll have to wait for a while on that one. And and Jeff Bishop, you you were going to say that you had a? Do you have another ho- or a hobby that you actually do besides not play the saxophone anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it. Um, so you know. My, both my wife and I have uh, really gotten on this health bandwagon thing. And so any time that I have now where I'm not doing ACB stuff, at least for the past probably six months to a year, we've been um, doing lots of health and exercise related things and uh, it's paying off. So uh, lots of hard work, but, uh, and I love reading. So it, it that's the way I wind down the day is I'll, you know, get a book and, and, uh, you know, at least try to read for half an hour to an hour. And, and hey. generally it guides me off to sleep, which is, but a good you're thing. not sharing one thing I know about you. So you're you know, not, oh, I, you know, lots about me. But yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's probably scary. I don't know. It, you have a whole, lot i almost said something oh, i shouldn't games. say yes yeah. yes well I, yeah, yeah apps well, I on his too. phone <laughs> yeah i have lots of games I, I play lots of games and i and actually i um and i'm always interested in get, getting new games and so i try to do that too especially on the weekend when i have a little bit more time i'll uh, i'll play some games and and uh 
or read. And but right now things are so busy that it, it's just kind of hard to get to that. So I was trying to focus on the things that are, that are <laughs> most most fo- you know the things that I'm it. doing most. Yep. Yeah. And Tony, do you have an outside hobby? I do. Yeah. It's um. It's it's kind of um. Uh, I have a, a a therapeutic hobby, which you is, play the I sax too. <laughs> I I did I did dabble for sax like for a year in high school, but I oh I, God, I was a big awesome. band nerd. But I was more that's... um. So I have a little studio. I'm in my basement, like so. I just you know um got like keyboards and guitars, and the kids are slowly trying to learn how to play. So it's it's a it's a raucous mm. hobby uh, with the boys. Um, the main thing that we've, we've gotten into since we moved to Baltimore was we started sailing and, um, I'm on the board for this little, it's called the downtown sailing center and on Baltimore on the inner Harbor. And, uh, we do uh, like adaptive sailing for people in the community and a lot of work outreach to schools to get kids from, um, you know, uh, lower socioeconomic conditions to be able to get out on the water and sail. Cause there's a lot of things like math and, uh, you know, it, it requires teamwork and things like that to get people on a boat. So the boys have been taking sailing lessons in the summer, which we're excited because it's the one camp that hasn't been canceled so far. Every other summer camp has been thrown to the wayside. But this is the one because I guess it's okay to social distance on a boat because you're kind of separated anyways from people. So, um, so yeah, so we do that sort of as a as a kind of a, which can in itself sort of be, you know, when you're just out on the water kind of, kind of. Uh, contemplative as well just to just to you know I try to find something my hobbies are to kind of clear my head because like you know Ron and Jeff and, and Jeff both you know will probably attest that it's it's kind of go 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 um, and then so it's nice to find something to pull you away like music or just getting outside and just here in the water uh, to kind of calm the nerves as it were very good. So just to complete the circle, it's yeah. funny because, you know, everybody shared their hobbies and, um, you know, Jeff played saxophone like I do. Um, but um, my second favorite, maybe even my number one favorite is every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I've been doing a lot of exercise Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 4am, which is when I get up um, because I'm weird. Um, I'm in the pool at four o'clock, about four fifteen. I get in until five doing, doing workout. So I love, love, love water. And here in Arizona in this time of year, um, it's in the low eighties at that time of the morning. So it's actually really nice. The pool temperature is around 90 right now. I am so, jealous. So it's really, really <laughs> I the am birds, so jealous. The birds are chirping and, um, you know, it's just a, a super time to be outside. So, you know, all of our hobbies actually kind of intersect. Um, and, um, yeah, no matter how busy you are, and I think we're probably all fairly busy, um, you know, having those things that you do with your kids, but also on your own and, and wherever are super critical because they, they actually make you more productive with the rest of your time. I love to swim. And uh, it, the pools here are so cold. You know, in in Washington, that I'm such a wimp that I will not do it. I just won't. And I, uh, <laughs> but the weather is beautiful right the now. The weather is great, but I can't yeah. swim. It saddens me. So, Ron, awesome man. That's yep. that. That's great. Yep. So I have to say that our chapter, our local chapter, last some of us last Friday, 
played this thing that's been around a long time called Mad Libs, where basically oh, yeah. one person has this storyline and you go around and other people have to fill in adjectives or nouns yeah. or verbs yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then you, since you have it online, then they can read it back very easily. So that's a very fun game if you have a few people to play in this time of where you need a little hilarity to, to you know, make oh, that keep is, yourself My kids love Mad Libs and we've, we've yeah. run books it's like that's a brilliant idea to go online and i think they go try to find mm-hmm. online yeah. i Those love that so idea the kids yeah. oh no that's great i actually love it for i might steal that for uh one of our community events there jeff thank you well, and they thought about it that may happen actually yeah, yeah no that's great i love it so and i want you guys to go back in time some of you, it's a longer trip than others, but I want you to think about maybe that eight or 10 year old little boy. And I want you to tell about, I want you to tell us about him. So who were you at eight or 10 years old when you look back and who would like to go first? I'll go first. Well, okay. Go so I'm Jeff, Jeff Bishop. Okay. Well, I was very much a daredevil when I was a kid and, and my parents raised me in such a way that, you know, they wanted to be, they wanted me to be just like any other child. So I have no fear whatsoever. Uh, I, I can remember the day that my, my brother took off the training wheels off my bike and didn't tell me. And, uh, we spent a half a day, uh, and I have all the, scars on my knees you can still see them i think uh, to, 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 to prove it but uh my older brother john taught me to to ride my bike and uh i i pretty much lived and breathed outside from the you know i would get up in the morning on a on the weekend and grab a bowl of cereal and be out pretty much all day might come home for lunch maybe but uh from basically dawn to dusk we were either in the pool or out running around and and uh that was that was true from probably the age of 7 or 8 till till uh, computers came around and then of course that changed everything but <laughs> and where were you living at the time Jeff I was living in Tucson Arizona. okay all right very good yep. and who want to go next oh uh, well okay go for it Jeff I was living outside of San Francisco on the San Francisco Peninsula, and I was extremely, there were two things about me worth pointing out. Number one, I was extremely shy, and number two, well, maybe three, and number two, I really had an inferiority complex with respect to people who were sighted, and number three, if blind people did it, I didn't want to, Um, like, (laughs) I... My dad wanted, he said, and we really couldn't have afforded it. He said, I'll get a piano for you. You should learn to play the piano. So I took up the trumpet, of course, um, because I didn't want to have to do anything that, you know, blind people did. Um, So I, you know, and I really didn't get out of my shyness at all. I still have a little vestige of it. But I really didn't break out of that until I got into, even though I had blind friends that, that, um, I didn't want to go to the blind to, to California school for the blind. I didn't want to go to Enchanted Hills. I didn't want to do that stuff. Um, and I didn't really break out of that until I, I became a part of, in my case, it was originally NFB. And, and that's when, in my 20s. And that's when I really started to gain self-confidence and a better self-image. 
Very interesting. Yep. I I don't see you as shy, but anyway, that's that's uh, fascinating, and it's it's probably interesting to even look back at yourself, right? And and Very to think about that, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Tony or Ron, one of you? Yeah, I'll jump in. Go um, for it, Ron. So I grew up in Indiana, and we were kind of in small, you know, not small town, but like middle sized town. And um, I, I was a low vision kid. I could see a little, not too, too much, but good enough that I could uh, run around and do stuff. So I was, uh, I was like Jeff Bishop. I was outside from pretty much dawn until it got dark because uh, my mom, basically, if we came home, she'd make us clean. So we wouldn't <laughs> come home. But um <laughs> The things that I like doing, in the, um, I rode my bike a lot, and I learned to I learned to bike ride kind of late for my neighbors. I was probably seven, and I learned. I mean, I fell down so many times, and at some point, I just got it. And once I got it, that was the end of it. Then I didn't stay home. But um, so I loved riding my bike. Um, I loved um, just pretty much anything outside. Um, I used to take my my backyard and I'd draw maps of the backyard and I'd, I'd draw lines where streets, you know, imaginary streets would be. And I'd only ride my bikes on those streets and they all had names and there were <laughs> fictional buildings there. The other thing that we did in Indiana, of course, is we played basketball and um, I played basketball every chance I got. Um, I couldn't really play team basketball very well because I didn't see quite that well, but I mean, we still did. It just got a little violent, um, but because yeah, it's hard to tell where other people were. Um, but so we played basketball, um, and the other thing I did is, is you know, from an early age, is is um, just uh, yeah, being in the water when we had a chance to be in the water, and, and we didn't always have that opportunity growing up because we didn't have much money. But um, did that and. And it wasn't too long before I discovered girls, and then I just chased girls. Never caught them, but I chased them. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. Tony, how about you? So I am uh, a shy person. Um, I don't know. So I'm kind of the opposite, I guess, of um, Ron and, and, you know, Bishop in a sense of uh, – I mean, I was I was visually impaired as a kid, and I don't know if maybe doctors were always saying, you know, be careful or you get hurt or – had a lot of that as a kid like you know if you hit your head you're gonna go blind and happen anyways when i was 15 but um but yeah so i was um uh kind of a computer kind of kid you know we had atari 2600 and uh was glued to video games of course it's nothing like my kids today i will tell myself as a parent that you know walk to school two miles in the snow uphill (laughs) but um but in that sense of you know uh just my dad was a telecommunications engineer for AT&T. We lived in Atlanta. Um, and so he was a, a telecom engineer. So I was always around like technology and stuff. So uh, I enjoyed like taking tinkering with like uh, electronics and would take apart stuff. And then he would yell at me because I couldn't put it back together usually the right way. Um, I'd always take apart my bike, try to put that back together. So I was, uh, I was a, a cautious more than mischievous, but I was no saint probably at all, but, but yeah. So actually you, you touched on something though, Tony, um, what is the cause of your vision loss? So I had a genetic condition called X-linked retinoschisis. Uh, it's a, just a, uh, oh, that's a mouthful. Yes. 
It's juvenile retina, excellent retinoschisis. And so it was a, a congenital uh, birth defect of the retinas. And that caused a detachment like when I was right after birth, I guess. And then that caused another complications with glaucoma when I was 15. So it was, uh, you know, but it was, it was legal blindness. You know, that was, I was the bottle glasses kid. That was the four eyes mm-hmm. kid in the playgrounds before it was cool. You know, now mm-hmm. hipsters love to go out and buy glasses and you know, it's a big thing now. Makes kids look smart like Harry Potter, but not, not in the seventies so much. <laughs> How yeah. about you, Jeff, uh, Tom? How did you lose your vision? I was the traditional for the 1950s, born then, ROP, formerly RLF child, with all the good and bad that that uh, uh, connotes. So you were premature? Yeah, three months. All right, yeah. And what about you, Ron? So first off, I got to laugh at Tony because they told me not to do all that stuff. And I did it. And I actually lost my residual tiny bit of vision when I was 14 because I took a basketball in the face. But um, anyway, I had the congenital glaucoma um, and um, they had actually done some restorative surgery at birth. But my parents being practical Midwesterners um, said do one, but not the other because it was kind of experimental in the late 60s. So I had eyesight in one eye, not in the other, because they decided to save it. Um, that didn't really work out. But um, so, yeah, I had eyesight until I was about 14. And how about you, Jeff Bishop? Yeah, I was born three and a half months premature and actually had a twin brother who passed away. And uh, my um, one, one eye never actually fully developed at all. And then... Uh, you know, uh, so, yep, that was uh, similar to Jeff. Mm-hmm. And are all of you or any of you Braille readers? Just curious. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Not Horribly. As much, yeah, not as much now, but uh, more before. But now with all the tech, I don't, uh, I use it for notes, though. I'm, I'm, um, I, I use almost no Braille, but I, when I do a presentation, I not only do it with note with Braille, but I do it with paper Braille. I don't like mm-hmm. I don't like refreshable Braille um, at all. So. I'm kind of with you on that, by the way. I love the real Braille too. Yeah, hard copy. Uh, Tony, are you a Braille user? No, sorry, I yelled no. out horrible earlier. Uh, I mean, I am a Braille user, yes, but I. I when I was 15, I mean, you're fighting everything in the world. Oh, so, yep, no you know, doubt. That was when my I, I got thrown into it and had to learn it, you know, yeah. to get That's back a tough up age. in school. So, yeah, so yeah. I, I can read it, but I am I am a, a lazy Braille user in that sense. Menus at restaurants. Uh, I, I can understand that. I've worked with kids in the school districts, and, uh, and teen years is not a fun time to lose vision and to be told you have to do stuff. No. <laughs> hey, hey, Cindy, you can relate because yeah. you're a teacher, but I was um, – I was 14 and had to learn Braille immediately, um, mm-hmm. but I did learn it because I had a 26-year-old Braille instructor named Betsy Scott. Do I need to start? <laughs> um, it was all about learning it as fast as possible and then trying to learn it as slow as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I did learn it. That's so. awesome. That's great. My O&M instructor was only 23 when I was 14, mm-hmm. and she, everybody wanted to ask her out at the school. All these teachers <laughs> wanted to out. <laughs> oh, the things Whatever that go through 
whatever it young takes. men's minds. Um, so uh, I want to know, see, I'm going to get a little serious for a minute and then we're going to have a little fun. So what would you say is the number one challenge facing our blind community today? Who'd like to take that first? I will. Okay, Ron. Um, I've actually been giving us a lot of thought. <clears throat> so, you know, we usually talk about employment or we talk about, te- uh, you know, technology gap or transportation. And those are challenges. Um, I-, I believe they are challenges and I believe they're serious challenges. But I think the biggest challenge that we face is that we have been told from the time before beginning um, that we are we have limited capability and and being told that we have limited capabilities is pretty bad but what's really bad is that we've bought it we we have as a group generally learned and accepted the definition that other people have given us and this really hit me literally within the last two months as I was sitting because um, I've been doing a lot of extra reading with the pandemic, um, reading some some books by uh, Tony Robbins, who you know, is a motivational speaker and, and personal development coach. And the, the idea of a limiting belief is pretty powerful. This idea that you have to believe stuff because it's what you've always been told. And, you know, my mom, you know, again, poor, practical, not very educated, told me from the time I was three, you have to work twice as hard to go half as far. And, and I did work twice as hard and I went far, but not far enough. And, and it occurred to me later that, and like, as in like this year, and I'm 52, that that's, that's a limiting belief. It simply isn't true. And if you can set that aside, you can start to actually go after transportation and employment and uh, all those challenges from a place of power rather than from a place of we're behind, we're discriminated against, the world's not fair. And I would much rather tackle employment and transportation from a place of power that says, I can do this. Um, it's, just, it's just figuring out how. And um, that has, I think that is our challenge that we have to accept and figure out how to, how to go after um, because that's the thing that really holds us back. More than anything else that other people tell us, more than anything else that society does to us, it's what we say to ourselves. Wow, that's pretty deep, and I agree with it. That's great. Anybody else want to tackle this one? Well, I'll, I'll go, and mine is pretty close to Ron's, not exactly the same. I think, and it really isn't uh, It isn't something that's exclusive to our community, I think it's pervasive in society, and it is a feeling that the the world and the problems we have are so unconquerable that we tend to be apathetic toward them because we have a feeling of powerlessness. And so, whether it's that you know thirty year old who has um, been trying to get a job after graduating from college and ends up one of the 70% that just sort of quits um, out of a feeling of frustration, or whether it's that um, senior who loses their vision 
and, you know, feels isolated and lonely and just sort of gives up and just stays around their house for the next, you know, five or 10 years until they die. Um, that, that, that feeling of, of a lack of empowerment turns quickly to total apathy. And, and that's something I don't know how to battle. Okay. Anybody else? Jeff or Tony? I'll add to sort of the, 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 the running theme in a sense of, because so much of, of uh, I feel like the problem is, and Ron, you hit on it well, I think the psychology, we, we do a really bad job. Uh, we'll give someone a cane and teach them how to, how to read Braille, but we don't, we don't wrestle with the psychology and, and what's going on in the head to transition. And, you know, I think it's when people, you know, you hit a wall, you hit a wall, you hit a wall, you, you have people tell you you can't do this. You have people tell you you can't do this. It, it, it creates your own sort of altered state of, of reality in, in what you can and can't do. And in the sense of, I, I think that the, the greater ill in this too, though, is the, the large misconception that there are still so many people projecting these images. You know, you hit it right on the head, Jeff, when uh, Jeff Tom, when you were talking about, you know, in that supervisor role and the role we all have, because it's a lot of pressure to, to, to try to drive the, the perception of who people who are blind or visually impaired are in this country, because those, those carry on. And it, it's, you know, the mistakes of people, not mistakes, but the struggles of people before, because something's maybe not accessible and that leads to stereotypes. And, I've, you know, uh, people with amazing pedigrees, we have so many people with master's degrees that are smart as all get out, but they, yeah. they hit that point of despair because they just keep being told, no, no, no. And you can't, you can't, you can't. Yeah. Jeff, do you have anything to add, Bishop? Well, I think I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction. You know, the the, the world is really moving to a, a much more technical craft in reference to the, the skill sets that are being required of that. And I think a lot of blind people are afraid of um, math and science, and, and some of this is a little challenging from a, from an accessibility uh, perspective. Um, and I just want to say that it doesn't have to be that way. There are great mentors that are available to you who can help and guide you on that path. Uh, technology is changing constantly to allow you to truly be effective in these roles. And uh, you can, you can do it. So, Dream big. Don't let uh, don't let someone tell you no. You know, uh, be bold and and you know, go for it because uh, that's that's what it's going to take. And as long as we teach the youth and and those people who are starting college those principles, and we also make sure that the people who are teaching our children teach those principles, then the world's going to be okay. But that's where we as advocates have to really push really hard and make sure that TVIs that are coming into the field or students who are in the classroom today are seeing that by people who are doing this work, you know, whatever that work may be, that they have good mentors and they have good role models to look up to, to be able to, ask questions of and learn from 
because that's uh, that's how we'll continue to to improve and and improve this you know seventy to eighty percent unemployment rate. And I knew you guys would would not let me down with your responses, and you haven't. And uh, just such good food for thought, and really gives us uh, a mission to uh, you know try and ensure that not only uh, do we talk to ourselves right and we believe what we are saying, but then we also share that whole mental, you know, state and belief to the others that we come into contact with and the rest of our community. Uh, that belief in oneself is so, uh, it, it's, it can be life-changing, life-altering. So we have about five minutes left, and I have a, a final question. If you can be short with the response, I want one funny dad story. So you guys are all dads, and Father's Day is coming up here soon. Do any of you have a funny dad story to share? And it could be you and your dad, or it could be you as a dad. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Um, okay, I was go trying for it. to narrow it down. So, um, <laughs> so I think this is one, and actually, it, it's just it's just kids being kids. And and uh, real quickly, so I will start with um, my first daughter. We had our kids all at home, um, and my first daughter was about uh, four months old. The first time I put her in a bath that was too hot because I like hot baths, and she screamed. And my wife wondered what I was doing. Um, it was a week. <laughs> or two after that, that I was holding her and she was just learning to wriggle and she rolled out of my arms and hit the floor. It was about another week after that, that it happened again, thankfully onto the sofa. Um, and she is doing great by the way. And I and, didn't drop any of the other ones. Uh, and Casey made it to 17. She, so she did. And, and I haven't dropped any of the other ones. So um, <laughs> there was a learning curve, but, but so far everybody has survived. They're, they're pretty flexible and, and yeah, pliable and all that at that age. Yeah. Yep. So anybody else? So mine, this is Jeff and Tom, and mine is a sort of a system of conduct on my part. And it especially came out with my youngest, but it really presented itself before that. I have a warped personality in some ways, and I'm the first one to admit that. And so I would they'd get in trouble for some reason and I would think it was hilarious and I would do everything I could to stop from laughing, but I wouldn't be able to. (laughs) Once I started laughing, (laughs) then they would start laughing and the whole disciplinary process would sort of melt into oblivion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's you know, were you the one then that like you're in trouble and then you laugh and so they think you're just kidding that I'm really not in trouble? That's a problem. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a problem. I'm a real disciplinarian too. (laughs) (laughs) Bad cues, bad cues. (laughs) That's great. Anybody else? I'll jump in because I was just trying to pull my 10-year-old who wandered downstairs about four or five minutes ago um, and he can't think of anything. (laughs) Uh, but now he's trying to sneak on the television, I think behind me. So he's trying to do things behind his dad's back. Um, yeah, I think for uh, me, there's nothing more golden than 
becoming the bad dad joke dad, you know, where you just tell a really bad corny joke <laughs> and you realize, oh, I'm like my dad. And oh, they, yeah. You know, they will laugh at it and it'll be hilarious, but just so schmaltzy and cheesy. And it's like, I have, I don't know if I should be proud of achieving that status <laughs> in life of just the dad, bad dad jokes, but, um, you know, it's, it's nice. So. I definitely think that you should wear that badge with honor. Uh, Tony, there, no or doubt. Just, or just wear it. Or just wear it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait till they're dating. Um, how about you, Jeff Bishop? Do you have any funny dad stories? Well, we're pretty, pretty close to the top of the hour here, so I'll make this one really quick. Christmas was always a, a really special time when I grew up, and we, we tended to make sure that was also true in our home, but one of my most memorable things that happened to me when I was a child was we would, my brother and I would get up early, you know, Christmas morning, two or three o'clock in the morning. And because we knew that Santa would have been there already. And I can remember one morning and this is, this is where being blind is uh, kind of an interesting, <laughs> good thing for my dad. Cause it, he didn't have to sneak too hard. And uh, I was I was a very small child, uh, and it was very much later in life, later in my teens, that I started to grow taller. And so I was up on the fireplace and reaching up really high to grab my stocking. And all of a sudden, this this man, who of course it turned out to be my dad, you know, in a Santa suit, grabbed me and threw me up in the air and yelled "ho ho ho" really loud and scared me. And, uh, I, to this day, I remember that like it was yesterday. Oh and, my gosh. Uh, that is wonderful. Yeah. It was one of the most memorable things and yeah, had a, had a great time. Well, I will say that this will be a memorable, uh, time for me. This hour spent with the four of you, you guys, uh, came through and I appreciate it so much. And, I uh, really just want to share with ACB members and those who are listening, the caliber in which our leadership it comes from and uh, the people, the real people behind the roles that they play in ACB. And you guys uh, came through shining and thank you for sharing your heart and soul uh, for your families as well as for ACB with us. This is ACB in Action. I'm Cindy, and I hope you'll listen again in future Tuesdays. 